Section 15 of Lovecraft's Influences and Favorites. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Ian Verley. The White People, Part 3, by Arthur Machen. The next morning I was very tired and sleepy, and could hardly do my lessons and I was very glad when they were over and I had had my dinner, as I wanted to go out and be alone. It was a warm day, and I went to a nice turfy hill by the river, and sat down on my mother's old shawl that I had brought with me on purpose. The sky was grey, like the day before, but there was a kind of white gleam behind it, and from where I was sitting I could look down on the town, and it was all still and quiet and white, like a picture. I remembered that it was on that hill that nurse taught me to play an old game called Troy Town, in which one had to dance and wind in and out on a pattern in the grass. And then when one had danced and turned long enough, the other person asks you questions, and you can't help answering whether you want to or not, and whatever you are told to do, you feel you have to do it. Nurse said there used to be a lot of games like that that some people knew of, and there was one by which people could be turned into anything you liked. And an old man her great-grandmother had seen had known a girl who had been turned into a large snake. And there was another very ancient game of dancing and winding and turning, by which you could take a person out of himself and hide him away as long as you liked, and his body went walking about quite empty, without any sense in it. But I came to that hill because I wanted to think of what had happened the day before, and of the secret of the wood. From the place where I was sitting I could see beyond the town, into the opening I had found, where a little brook had led me into an unknown country. And I pretended I was following the brook over again, and I went all the way in my mind, and at last I found the wood and crept into it under the bushes, and then in the dusk I saw something that made me feel as if I were filled with fire, as if I wanted to dance and sing and fly up into the air, because I was changed and wonderful. But what I saw was not changed at all, and had not grown old, and I wondered again and again how such things could happen and whether nurses' stories were really true, because in the daytime, in the open air, everything seemed quite different from what it was at night, when I was frightened and thought I was going to be burned alive. I once told my father one of her little tales, which was about a ghost, and asked him if it was true, and he told me it was not true at all, and that only common, ignorant people believed in such rubbish. He was very angry with nurse for telling me the story, and scolded her, and after that I promised her I would never whisper a word of what she told me, and if I did I should be bitten by the great black snake that lived in the pool in the wood, and all alone on the hill I wondered what was true. I had seen something very amazing and very lovely, and I knew a story, and if I had really seen it and not made it up out of the dark and the black bow and the bright shining that was mounting up to the sky from over the great round hill, but had really seen it in truth, then there were all kinds of wonderful and lovely and terrible things to think of. So I longed and trembled, and I burned and got cold. And I looked down on the town, so quiet and still, like a little white picture, and I thought over and over if it could be true. I was a long time before I could make up my mind to anything. There was such a strange fluttering at my heart that seemed to whisper to me all the time that I had not made it up out of my head, and yet it seemed quite impossible. And I knew my father and everybody would say it was dreadful rubbish. I never dreamed of telling him or anybody else a word about it, because I knew it would be of no use. 
and I should only get laughed at or scolded. So for a long time, I was very quiet and went about thinking and wondering. And at night, I used to dream of amazing things. And sometimes I woke up in the early morning and held out my arms with a cry. And I was frightened too, because there were dangers and some awful things would happen to me unless I took great care, if the story were true. These old tales were always in my head, night and morning, and I went over them and told them to myself over and over again, and went for walks in the places where nurse had told them to me. And when I sat in the nursery by the fire in the evenings, I used to fancy nurse was sitting in the other chair and telling me some wonderful story in a low voice for fear anybody should be listening. But she used to like best to tell me about things when we were right out in the country, far from the house, because she said she was telling me such secrets and walls have ears. And if it was something more than ever secret, we had to hide in brakes or woods. And I used to think it was such fun creeping along a hedge and going very softly. And then we would get behind the bushes or run into the wood all of a sudden when we were sure that none was watching us. So we knew that we had our secrets quite all to ourselves and nobody else at all knew anything about them. Now and then, when we had hidden ourselves as I have described, she used to show me all sorts of odd things. One day, I remember we were in a hazel break overlooking the brook and we were so snug and warm as though it was April and the sun was quite hot and the leaves were just coming out. Nurse said she would show me something funny that would make me laugh, and then she showed me, as she said, how one could turn a whole house upside down without anybody being able to find out, and the pots and pans would jump about, and the china would be broken, and the chairs would tumble over themselves. I tried it one day in the kitchen, and I found I could do it quite well, and a whole row of plates on the dresser fell off it, and the cook's little work table tilted up and turned right over before her eyes, as she said. But she was so frightened and turned so white that it didn't do it again, as I liked her. And afterwards, in the hazel copse, when she had shown me how to make things tumble about, she showed me how to make rapping noises, and I learned how to do that too. Then she taught me rhymes to say on certain occasions, and peculiar marks to make on other occasions, and other things that her great-grandmother had taught her when she was a little girl herself. And these were all things I was thinking about in those days after the strange walk when I thought I had seen a great secret, and I wished Nurse were there for me to ask her about it, but she had gone away more than two years before, and nobody seemed to know what had become of her, or where she had gone. But I shall always remember those days if I live to be quite old, because all the time I felt so strange, wondering and doubting, and feeling quite sure at one time, and making up my mind, and then I would feel quite sure that such things couldn't happen really and it began all over again. But I took great care not to do certain things that might be very dangerous. So I waited and wondered for a long time, and though I was not sure at all, I never dared to try and find out. But one day, I became sure that all that Nurse said was quite true, and I was all alone when I found it out. I trembled all over with joy and terror, and as fast as I could I ran into one of the old breaks where we used to go, it was the one by the lane, where Nurse made the little clay man. And I ran into it, and I crept into it. And when I came to the place where the elder was, I covered up my face with my hands and lay down flat on the grass, and I stayed there for two hours without moving, whispering to myself delicious, terrible things, and saying some words over and over again. It was all true and wonderful and splendid, and when I remembered the story I knew and thought of what I had really seen, I got hot and I got cold and the air seemed full of scent and flowers and singing. And first I wanted to make a little clay man, 
like the one Nurse had made so long ago, and I had to invent plans and stratagems, and to look about, and to think of things beforehand, because nobody must dream of anything that I was doing or going to do, and I was too old to carry clay about in a tin bucket. At last I thought of a plan, and I brought the wet clay to the break and did everything that Nurse had done. Only I made a much finer image than the one she had made. And when it was finished, I did everything that I could imagine and much more than she did, because it was the likeness of something far better. And a few days later, when I had done my lessons early, I went for the second time by the way of the little brook that had led me into a strange country. And I followed the brook and went through the bushes, and beneath the low branches of trees, and up thorny thickets on the hill, and by dark woods full of creeping thorns a long, long way. Then I crept through the dark tunnel where the brook had been, and the ground was stony, till at last I came to the thicket that climbed up the hill, and though the leaves were coming out upon the trees, everything looked almost as black as it was on the first day that I went there, and the thicket was just the same, and I went up slowly till I came out on the big bare hill, and began to walk among the wonderful rocks. I saw the terrible voor again on everything, for though the sky was brighter, the ring of wild hills all around was still dark and the hanging woods looked dark and dreadful, and the strange walks were as grey as ever. And when I looked down on them from the great mound, sitting on the stone, I saw all their amazing circles and rounds within rounds, and I had to sit quite still and watch them as they began to turn about me, and each stone danced in its place. And they seemed to go round and round in a great whirl, as if one were in the middle of all the stars and heard them rushing through the air. So I went down among the rocks to dance with them, and to sing extraordinary songs, and I went down through the other thicket, and drank from the bright stream in the close and secret valley, putting my lips down to the bubbling water, and then I went on till I came to the deep, brimming well among the glittering moss, and I sat down. I looked before me into the secret darkness of the valley, and behind me was the great high wall of grass, and all around me there was the hanging woods that made the valley such a secret place. I knew there was nobody here at all besides myself and that no one else could see me. So I took off my boots and stockings, and let my feet down into the water, saying the words that I knew. And it was not cold at all, as I expected, but warm and very pleasant, and when my feet were in it, I felt as if they were in silk, or as if the nymph were kissing them. So when I had done, I said the other words and made the signs, and then I dried my feet with a towel I had brought on purpose, and put on my stockings and boots. Then I climbed up the steep wall, and went into the place where there are the hollows, and the two beautiful mounds, and the round ridges of land, and all the strange shapes. I did not go down into the hollow this time, but I turned at the end and made out the figures quite plainly, as it was lighter, and I had remembered the story I had quite forgotten before. And in the story the two figures are called Adam and Eve, and only those who know the story understand what they mean. So I went on and on till I came to the secret wood which must not be described and I crept into it by the way I had found. And when I had gone about halfway, I stopped, and turned round and got ready, and I bound the handkerchief tightly round my eyes and made quite sure that I could not see at all, not a twig, nor the end of a leaf, nor the light of the sky, as it was an old red silk handkerchief with large yellow spots that went round twice and covered my eyes so that I could see nothing. Then I began to go on, step by step, very slowly. My heart beat faster and faster, and something rose in my throat that choked me and made me want to cry out, but I shut my lips and went on. Bows caught in my hair as I went, and great thorns tore me, but 
but I went on to the end of the path. Then I stopped and held out my arms and bowed, and I went round the first time, feeling with my hands, and there was nothing. I went round the second time, feeling with my hands, and there was nothing. Then I went round the third time, feeling with my hands, and the story was all true, and I wished that the years were gone by, and that I had not so long a time to wait before I was happy forever and ever. Nurse must have been a prophet like those we read of in the Bible. Everything that she said began to come true, and since then, other things that she told me of have happened. That was how I came to know that her stories were true, and that I had not made up the secret myself out of my own head. But there was another thing that happened that day. I went a second time to the secret place. It was at the deep brimming well, and when I was standing on the moss, I bent over and looked in, and then I knew who the white lady was that I had seen come out of the water in the wood long ago when I was quite little. And I trembled all over, because that told me other things. Then I remembered how some time after I had seen the white people in the wood, Nurse asked me more about them, and I told her all over again, and she listened, and said nothing for a long, long time. And at last she said, You will see her again. So I understood what had happened, and what was to happen. And I understood about the nymphs, how I might meet them in all kinds of places, and they would always help me and I must always look for them, and find them in all sorts of strange shapes and appearances. And without the nymphs, I could never have found the secret, and without them, none of the other things could happen. Nurse had told me all about them long ago, but she called them by another name, and I did not know what she meant, or what her tales of them were about, only that they were very queer. And there were two kinds, the bright and the dark, and both were very lovely and very wonderful and some people saw only one kind, and some only the other, but some saw them both. But usually the dark appeared first, and the bright ones came afterwards, and there were extraordinary tales about them. It was a day or two after I had come home from the secret place that I first really knew the nymphs. Nurse had shown me how to call them, and I had tried, but I did not know what she meant, and so I thought it was all nonsense. But I made up my mind I would try again, so I went to the wood where the pool was, where I saw the white people, and I tried again. The dark nymph, Alana, came out, and she turned the pool of water into a pool of fire. Epilogue That's a very queer story, said Contgrave, handing back the green book to the recluse Ambrose. I see the drift of a good deal, but there are many things that I do not grasp at all. On the last page, for example, what does she mean by nymphs? Well, I think there are references throughout the manuscript to certain processes which have been handed down by tradition from age to age. Some of these processes are just beginning to come within the purview of science, which has arrived at them, or rather at the steps which lead to them by quite different paths. I have interpreted the reference to nymphs as a reference to one of these processes. And you believe that there are such things? Oh, I think so. Yes, I believe I could give you convincing evidence on that point. I am afraid you have neglected the study of alchemy. It is a pity, for the symbolism, at all events, is very beautiful. And moreover, if you were acquainted with certain books on the subject, I could recall to your mind phrases which might explain a good deal in the manuscript that you have been reading. Yes, but I want to know whether you seriously think that there is any foundation of fact beneath these fancies. Is it not all a department of poetry? A curious dream with which man has indulged himself. 
I can only say that it is no doubt better for the great mass of people to dismiss it all as a dream. But if you ask my veritable belief, that goes quite the other way. No, I should not say belief, but rather knowledge. I may tell you that I have known cases in which men have stumbled quite by accident on certain of these processes, and have been astonished by wholly unexpected results. In the cases I am thinking of, there could have been no possibility of suggestion or subconscious action of any kind. One might as well suppose a schoolboy suggesting the existence of Aeschylus to himself, which he plods mechanically through the declensions. But you have noticed the obscurity, Ambrose went on, and in this particular case it must have been dictated by instinct, since the writer never thought that her manuscripts would fall into other hands. But the practice is universal and for most excellent reasons, powerful and sovereign medicines, which are, of necessity, virulent poisons also, are kept in a locked cabinet. The child may find the key by chance and drink herself dead, but in most cases the search is educational, and the files contain precious elixirs for him who has patiently fashioned the key for himself. You do not care to go into details? No, frankly, I do not. No, you must remain unconvinced. But you saw how the manuscript illustrates the talk we had last week. Is this girl still alive? No. I was one of those who found her. I knew the father well. He was a lawyer, and had always left her very much to herself. He thought of nothing but deeds and leases, and the news came to him as an awful surprise. She was missing one morning. I suppose it was about a year after she had written about what you have read. The servants were called, and they told things and put the only natural interpretation on them, a perfectly erroneous one. They discovered that green book somewhere in her room, and I found her in the place that she described with so much dread, lying on the ground before the image. It was an image? Yes, it was hidden by the thorns and the thick undergrowth that had surrounded it. It was a wild, lonely country, but you know what it was like by her description, though of course you will understand that the colors have been heightened. A child's imagination always makes the heights higher and the depths deeper than they really are, and she had, unfortunately, for herself, something more than imagination. One might say, perhaps, that the picture in her mind which she succeeded in a measure in putting into words was the scene as it would have appeared to an imaginative artist, but it is a strange, desolate land. And she was dead, yes. She had poisoned herself, in time. No, there was not a word to be said against her in the ordinary sense. You may recollect a story I had told you the other night about a lady who saw her child's fingers crushed by a window. And what was this statue? Well, it was of Roman workmanship, of a stone that with the centuries had not blackened, but had become white and luminous. The thicket had grown up about it and concealed it, and in the Middle Ages the followers of a very old tradition had known how to use it for their own purposes. In fact, it had been incorporated into the monstrous mythology of the Sabbath. You will have noted that those to whom a sight of that shining whiteness have been vouchsafed by chance, or rather, perhaps, by apparent chance, were required to blindfold themselves on their second approach. That is very significant. And is it there still? I sent for tools, and we hammered it into dust and fragments. The persistence of tradition never surprises me, Ambrose went on after a pause. I could name many an English parish where such traditions as that girl had listened to in her childhood are still existent in a cult 
but unabated vigor. No, for me, it is the story, not the sequel, which is strange and awful, for I have always believed that wonder is of the soul. End of The White People, Part 3, by Arthur Machen. This recording is by Ian Verley.